Hey kids, welcome to episode 53 of Piercing the Veil. Now this is going to be a trimmed back episode because you may notice it's just a little bit quieter. Your head is. We are missing an integral teammate. But she will be back next episode. I know this because even though we have no contracts on this team as such, we have made a virtual pinky promise. And nobody ever breaks a pinky swear, do they, Tiff? So, for episode 53, our roll call is as follows. Me, Robin. And me, Steve. And we do have quite a bit to talk about. Well, actually, we have just come off watching the season finale of Star Trek Picard Season 2. And it's left us just a little bit emotionally vulnerable. Agreed. Because it's a 10-episode season this time, available in the UK on Amazon Prime. Um, exclusively, by the way. Yeah. So if you haven't got Amazon Prime, we have two things. Number one, why not? It's worth it just for Picard and free postage. And number two, if you're still not going to get it, look in the mirror, look yourself in the eye, and tell yourself you're a cheapskate. So, Picard. Ever since the beginning, season one, this has pretty much caught our imagination. Yeah. It deals in real time. Picard is an old man. This second season brings in the Borg Queen. Picard's old nemesis all the way back to the best of both worlds, season closer, two-parter, yeah. and he has to confront his deadliest, most feared enemies. Personally, I thought this was a really good way to go, really well executed. If I have one criticism, yeah, it's that it could be one episode, maybe two, shorter to make it leaner and meaner. Yeah, I'd it agree seemed with that. to be a little bit saggy there in the middle. There's there's about there's two episodes in the middle that they could have easily really cut out. Because of the overall story, it didn't actually have any effect. They were more like padding. They they did feel like padding, and they felt kind of slow. Yeah. As you say, Steve, they didn't even add anything. We've had some controversial moments, but nothing much was made no. of them, which is the way it should be. Now, everybody has made a Big fuss over Doctor Who being female. And how yeah. if you don't like Doctor Who being female, then basically you are a middle-aged misogynist who doesn't like powerful women. And we feel threatened. This is conveniently yeah. forgetting that we in the sci-fi community, who like real sci-fi, have embraced the likes of Ripley. Sarah Connor. Sarah Connor. Princess Leia. Yeah. 
Hell, let's go with Wonder Woman. Janeway. Janeway. Absolutely. Um, so the 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 um, the revelation that seven of nine is gay means absolutely no. nothing to us. And the thing is, what I like with how they did that is no big deal was made of it. And no toxic fandom. No. There was no people going, well, you know, I'll never but watch Star if, Trek again. But if those, if there was toxic fandom against that scene, yeah, wouldn't that mean that they're not Star Trek fans anyway? Because isn't Star Trek about accepting everybody? Isn't that the whole point of Star infinite Trek? Infinite diversity in infinite combinations. Isn't that the whole point of Star Trek? Absolutely. Absolutely. How something like this doesn't affect, doesn't matter to one particular branch of fandom, but it becomes all-encompassing in another, yeah. I have never, ever understood. And if anybody wants to come up to me and ask me why I don't watch Doctor Who anymore, look at the writing. Yeah, it's it awful. It sucks. You may convince yourselves is good. You will never convince me. Now, I do believe Picard is renewed for another season. Yes, but that'll be the last season. It will. But what a way to go out. Because what we have heard is that they are bringing back the Star Trek Next Generation crew. Yeah. We've seen some of them, but we haven't seen all of them. I mean, isn't it going to be cool if we get to find out what Worf has been doing? Because they have actually taken a photo of them all together Yeah. now, yeah. ready. Yep. So this is definitely coming our way, and I for one can't wait. Exactly. What's your take on it? Tell them, Steve. See, I think that, for me with Star Trek, to start with, I was not a fan of Star Trek. I, I couldn't get into it. I Okay, which Star Trek are we talking original. about here? This is a weird echo. Because... How old were you? I must have been around ten when I first tried it. I was nine, and I couldn't get into it either. I thought it was... There wasn't much action. It's kind of preachy. <laughs> um, A ten-year-old that doesn't <laughs> like to be preached to. Imagine that. I mean, I... I found the stories kind of really hard to get into. Yeah. It wasn't if it wasn't for seeing the Star Trek movies, the originals. So Wrath of the Khan, Search for Spark, and Voyage Home. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have got into Star Trek. That's what sold me on the series. Interesting, but unless I miss my guess, yeah, your appreciation of yeah. Star Trek, yeah, has just had a renaissance, has it not? Yes, definitely. do tell. I, after your recommendation, I started watching Discovery, which I really didn't want to watch. I, I was against that from the start because I thought... St 
Star Trek for me is one that I've really liked, but it's always been kind of hit and miss. Okay. What has hit and what has missed? What hits actually started in Next Generation with two stories. So you have your main story and a sub-story. Yes. I find when you have just one story and it involves everybody, I find it kind of tiresome. Okay. And some of the stories can kind of be, you know, when it's like the multiple Earths yeah. of different kinds. It's like, okay, we've seen this. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas Next Generation, you had different levels, which is great. Discovery is actually the one that's really got me into Star Trek. Really? Yeah. Over all of them. Even original? Yeah. Definitely. Wow. Because I like the fact that you've got very strong stories. But they're more of an arc than any series before it. And I like the fact that it's not, you know, a 20 or 30 episode season. Yeah. It's about 15 episodes. They all, they're all there for a reason. And then it's done. It doesn't kind of, you know, drag with another three or four episodes that you don't need. And they change the cast so much. Because yeah. so far, you have only seen season one. Now, over the, I've seen seasons one and two. And you are about to enter yeah. what I consider um, Discovery's best of the two seasons yeah. that I've seen. I have season three in, um, but I haven't watched it yet. Um, but you're about to, of course, meet Captain Christopher Pike. Yeah. Because you left the uh, season on its closer where they basically are hailed by the USS Enterprise. But I think as well that with Star Trek, I like the... I like the... I like Kirk, Spock and McCoy. Yes. I like the original Star Trek cast. But I kind of wish at times that they had the next generation kind of story of the two levels. Yeah, I think that they didn't bring... That dual story thing in until about seasons two or three. Yeah. Where, you know, the the first story, the main story, would typically be some sort of galactic menace or some of the, some of the crew landing party in jeopardy or something. Then the the sub story would have something like um Data finding his cat. Data looking for his cat. Yeah. Exactly. And it was a it was a nice break from the action and from the tension. But that's why I've also found with this series of Star Trek Discovery is that they feel more like real people, whereas yeah. in they're fallible, they're fallible. And whereas in the original series, because it's a show of its time, yeah, the only one you find you found you could actually relate to in any way for being different. Was Spock. Yes. Spock is the saving factor of the original series. I will take it just a little bit further. Yeah. And I would say that Leonard Nimoy, in his portrayal of Spock, created TV sci-fi's most memorable character. Yeah. 
ever. Because you knew as well that if it was a Spock-centric episode, you knew it was going to be a good episode. Yeah. Yeah. They also says a lot that the main captains that tend to, people tend to mention more often are Kirk and Picard. This is true. This is true. Um, I I've enjoyed Star Trek, the original series, many 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 times. Um, I I really love the Next Generation. Yeah, took a while to get there because I, I I was a loyalist to the original series. Deep Space Nine, I didn't much care for when I first saw it because it was very, very dark. Yeah. It wasn't that well lit. And it seemed overly concerned with religion and politics. Now, these are two things that I really don't get involved with in, in real life. Yeah. But when I rewatched the first season and most of the second season a couple of years ago, I found that it played much, much better. Um, a, I was watching it on DVD. B, I had a better television, so, you know, it, it yeah. sort of kind of colour correct and lighting corrects itself, um, so I can actually see what's going on. But most crucially, I think I needed to be older to really appreciate it. Yeah, because I think with Star Trek, it's kind of... I know it has fans of all age ranges. But you have to see a certain age range, because otherwise you're not going to get it. No. Voyager, I took to Voyager instantly. That, that was a good series. I remember Voyager. Um, because I one of my criticisms of Deep Space Nine was, how can it be Star Trek? They're not trekking anywhere. Yeah. They're not going anywhere. They're, they're kind of... It's like a motorway um, stop. You know, services um, in space. Everybody's going everywhere apart from them. And then, of course, they, they brought in the ship, the Defiant, and they could get places. So, yeah, it started to work then. But Voyager, to me, that was kind of the ultimate... Um, journey really because yeah. they were lost and they had no way of communicating that they were lost because they were they were lost so far out and exactly. they had to work their way back and that was their overall story um, Enterprise I saw two seasons of but I never finished that needs to be set straight I think that Enterprise wasn't finished because that was a weird time when they were changing I think it was The Simpsons and it was Enterprise. We were watching it on Sky and it got to a phase where we didn't know if it was a new episode or an old episode. I, I remember losing patience with it yeah. as well. I'm reminding you. That, speaking of science fiction, what you hear in the background is my smart speaker reminding me to take my diabetes medicine, which I will at the end of this episode. Thank you, dear. Uh, I'd forgotten that was going to happen, actually. I had completely forgotten that. Yeah, five o'clock. Um, right, so would you recommend Picard? Yes, definitely. Would you recommend 
Discovery. Yes. And are you going to be watching the new Star Trek series, Strange New Worlds, which you insist on calling Stranger Worlds? See, the reason, the whole reason for watching Discovery. We had a conversation yeah. two days ago when you were talking about Stranger Worlds, and I was thinking that you were talking about Stranger Things. Yeah. And it went nowhere. See, the whole reason I'm watching Discovery, as much as I am, is, is for um, Strange Worlds. Is it Strange Worlds? Strange New oh, Worlds. It new comes worlds. from the opening narration. They never say that in the To explore narration. Strange New Worlds. Since when do they say that? Since episode one, Mook. Interesting. Oh. Right, so we are going to be watching Strange New Worlds. Yes. And we'll see what it's like. I, 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 have, I have I have high hopes. I have very high hopes for high that. Hopes. Now, we have been watching lately a series which was on Sky, which we didn't complete because we didn't like the adverts, because we're fussy like that. And we are halfway through season one of Chucky. Now, Chucky is a carry-on of the Child's Play movies. And it's a carry-on of a horror movie series done right. If you like a foul-mouthed, psychotic, homicidal maniac of a ginger-haired doll, you're going to love this. Take it away, Stevie. I found that we watched Ash vs. the Evil Dead uh, a couple of years ago. We did. Which we did. is a follow-on from the Evil Dead movies. Yes, with Bruce Campbell returning as Ash. Which works and doesn't because it depends on what version of Evil Dead 3 you watch. Because there are true, two endings. True, they filmed two endings, yes. And this first... follows on with from the ending that most of us didn't get. Yeah. yeah. What's odd is on the Blu-ray set, you get the ending that carries on into the series. Yeah. Where he's back in the mall. The yes. One... Yeah. Um, with that series, the first two seasons really worked. Yeah. But the last season, they seemed to miss the mark a bit. I agree. They, they seem to... Run out of steam. This and is they... when they brought in Lee Majors as Ash's father, wasn't it? Yeah, and it they seemed to kind of take it a bit too far in the sense they went too comedic. Yeah, there was too much slapstick. In yeah. It. Now, humour and horror go together very, very well. Because after a scare, you need a laugh. Whereas... And it's easy to turn a laugh into a scream. Whereas with Chucky, they've... It takes off after Cult of Chucky, which is the last film. Yeah. And what I like so far, what they did when they introduced Chucky is, although you know that is Chucky, it's not obvious from the beginning that kind of, you know, there's the jokes straight away. He's just watching. Yes. He's assessing the situation. And as it goes on, he just gets worse. He does. 
he does. We are four episodes into that eight-episode series, and so far, it is completely faultless. Yeah. If you've enjoyed the movies, you will certainly enjoy Chucky, because no holds barred, yeah. no punches are pulled. Now then, that was a clever segue. Okay. No holds barred. Yeah. No punches pulled. Because we have seen another series which, uncharacteristically, I binged the first season in one day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the series, you'd bought it on Blu-ray. Yeah. I was watching something down here. I think it was The X-Files or Smallville. And you said you were going to watch the first episode. And up you went upstairs. And as soon as my episode finished, I checked to see if I could get it on Sky, which I could. And in the end, I binged Young Rock way ahead of you. Now, this is supposedly the kind of a, a, a weekly comedy series yeah. based on the life of ex-pro wrestler Dwayne Johnson. Um, maybe exaggerated. I'm not saying it's a blow-by-blow account of his childhood, but it certainly entertained me. I think that from what I've gathered and reading up about it, the past, you've got the overarching story where Dwayne Johnson's running for president in 2030, is it? 2030, yes. But from what I've gathered, the behind the scene, the kind of the Young Rock segments, that is pretty much as it happened. He had a colourful life um, because he was brought up in the wrestling yeah. industry. Um, so, you know, there were people around him that were legends in the World Wrestling Federation, as it was. His father and grandfather were both professional See, wrestlers. His grandmother ran a, profes- a professional wrestling um, promotion in Hawaii. I think as well. It's like, I loved season one, but from the looks of it, I think it's season two that I really want to see because I think that's when he gets into his wrestling stories. Yeah. Um, because it seems to centre more on... Him as a child. Yeah. And him as a teenager, the kind of high school, college kind of thing. Because I know from watching the... It's almost like a biopic documentary of him. Yeah. That after the football, that's when wrestling came. Yeah, because didn't he suffer an injury that prevented him from carrying on his football career? Because that was going to be the first choice, wasn't it? I think he... I think that was it. And then he wanted to go into wrestling, but he was told no. By who? His dad. Oh, right. I think. And then, basically, because he carried on doing it, he eventually got trained. Uh Uh-huh. So, would you recommend this? And if so, why? I would recommend Young Rock, because it's better that it's... They've done a similar show, although it wasn't based on anything real, in Young Sheldon, which really didn't work because it messed with the continuity too much. It did. 
it would say it that... It undid some of the continuity of the Big Bang Theory. And might not be a popular opinion, but I think in some ways, Young Sheldon was a mistake. And that I felt that, especially in the last two seasons, they seemed to try and retrofit Young Sheldon into the Big Bang Theory, and it kind of... I've I've only seen the first two seasons of Young Sheldon, and the way that they were redoing some of Sheldon's past that was basically canon yeah. in the Big Bang Theory, I, I just thought, no. Whereas no, no. with going back to Young Rock, you don't have that... I'd recommend that to anyone, but you don't even have to be a wrestling fan to like it. And it's actually got a lot of Dwayne Johnson yeah. acting in it with cameos from his mother. I mean, he tops and tails and pops in and during episodes as well. It gives you a good insight as well to what the wrestling career and what it's like being in that kind of environment. Growing up in yeah. it, yes. Um, if you want to see what it's like trying to get into the wrestling environment, um, the wrestling industry yeah. as a performer... I think you 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 need to watch Fighting with My Family. Yeah. Um which is of course produced by yes. Dwayne Johnson. Um which which was a very strong film. But apparently he had to he didn't want to be in that film at all. He's only a producer, but he had to have a cameo in it just to get the film made because they did actually say that unless he had a cameo, yeah. they weren't going to make it. Yeah. Speaking of people portraying themselves on film, a couple of weeks ago, we went to say to see um, Nicolas Cage in the unbearable weight of immense talent. Yes. This was the idea of. Super blogger Karen Woodham uh, from Blazing Minds, who told us, uh, she told me, you know, oh, I'm going to go see this. Are you, are you coming along? And I thought, well, yes. Yeah. I saw the trailer, suggested it to you, and we were done, son. Yeah. Um, Nicolas Cage plays himself, who unwittingly gets involved in a CIA operation. Um, what did you think of it? I'm not the biggest Nicolas Cage fan. I like some of his movies, but not all of them. He's someone that I can kind of take or leave. Um, yeah, yeah. He's He's got, when I think about it, he's got more films that I've actually liked than not liked. Because it wasn't until very recently that I remembered that he was in National Treasure. Yes, both of them. Yeah, I forgot about that. It's like saying you forgot that Harrison Ford was in Raiders of the Lost like, Ark. Oh, yes. Uh, I, I thought it was a... What about Ghost Rider? The first one. What about The Rock? I did like What that about one. Face Off? I've never seen it. What about Gone in 60 Seconds? That's a good one. Okay, they're, they're good ones. Yeah, there are more. Oh, Con Air, that's a good one. Con Air? I like that one. There's the uh, oh, Bangkok one. I can't remember what that's called. Never seen it. Bangkok Dangerously. 
You've never seen that? No. That's awesome. Never seen it. Oh, okay. <laughs> to me, Nicolas Cage is somebody who I think is, eh, hit and miss. Take him or leave him. But, when I think about it a little bit harder, I realise that whenever I go and see a Nicolas Cage movie, I tend to have a really good time. Yeah. And I, I definitely underestimate his entertainment value. And when he is playing himself in this movie, I, I don't think I've seen him better. No. He is hysterically over-the-top Nicolas Cage, but is also really funny and really endearing. Yeah. Because another actor that I feel, eh, take him or leave him, and he's very much, to me anyway, in the Nicolas Cage mould, is Christopher Walken. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I I really can take Walken or leave him. Yeah. But Nicolas Cage, I'm a little bit more precious with. Especially having seen this film. Because we we've seen films where people play themselves... Um, I remember, I've got it here, but I don't think you've seen it. In the late 70s, Muhammad Ali played himself in a biopic. Okay. Um, another one was JCVD. I saw that one. Jean-Claude Van Damme played himself being taken hostage in a bank robbery and being a complete coward and it was just it didn't no didn't resonate with me on any level because i thought it was like career suicide because you, yes we like them to play against their type like um but Arnold this Schwarzenegger did in Maggie or Junior yeah you know my Arnold Schwarzenegger the world's best known bodybuilder as a man who becomes pregnant yeah. in a comedy. Comedy genius. Arnold Schwarzenegger proving that he can act and turn in a sensitive performance in Maggie really worked. Jean-Claude Van Damme playing a gibbering coward. No. It didn't work. It just, no. Um, watched it once, and I think I gave the disc away to charity. But um, the unbearable weight of immense talent, to me, is is one of the best films I've seen this year, and it has been a strong year for movies. It has been. It very much has been. Speaking of strong movies. We went to see, only yesterday, no, it was Thursday, because this is Saturday. Uh, Saturday, May the 7th, if anybody cares. We went to see Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. 
Do you want to give your thoughts first? Tell you're, them, Steve. You're probably better to with this one because you've got more insight into Doctor Strange than I do. Well, all I was going to do was I'm not going to. It's too early to give away plot details. Yeah. So we're not going to spoil this for anybody. But I thought, from watching the trailer, I thought it would follow on directly from Spider-Man, No Way Home. And because he, Doctor Strange, had tried to help Peter Parker out by... Yeah, his problem was that everybody now knew his identity. So he went to Doctor Strange, who agreed to help him by casting a spell which would wipe that memory out of everybody's mind other than a select few. Yeah. But it all went wrong because Parker kept changing things. And the multiverse was opened up. Now, the multiverse is a never-ending series of alternate realities. And things came to a head when villains from other Spider-Man movies came in. You know, Alfred Molina's yeah. Doctor Octopus from the original Spider-Man trilogy. Uh, among others, the Lizard. Um, and it took three Spider-Men to sort everything out. And then Doctor Strange closed the multiverse up again. And I was sure that it was going to be a case of, or did he? Did he get that wrong? Yeah. Did it spill open again? Is the multiverse going to throw out, you know, cameos by by heroes from the previous movies? Are we going to see Iron Man? Are we going to see Captain America? Are the Avengers going to be there? Because they've been quite quiet about where this film was actually going. But certainly the trailer led me to believe that it was as a result of that and... Because he'd done the big forbidden yeah. thing of opening the multiverse, that he was going to be punished. We even saw Ultron robots escorting him, as if yeah. under guard. Well, that was dispelled in the first 10-15 minutes. It's not that at all, it's something completely different. The multiverse does open, but what director Sam Raimi, again, of The Evil Dead... And people think we throw these shows together, uh, has done is create a very effective sci-fi horror movie. A far more effective one, I think, than Morbius, which we saw last month. Agreed. And there's some very potent horror imagery in it, which, despite its 12 certificate, um, I would urge parents not to take very young children to see it unless you want them subjected to sites like uh, something very reminiscent of The Ring yeah um, Doctor Strange entering his own dead and decayed body I, and a lot of other things I, I th the one thing I will say with Doctor Strange is I'll be interested to see what people think of it it is a very good movie, but I don't, even from what the trailer suggested, it's not what people are going to expect. And it's certainly not 
young, sensitive, no. kid-friendly. No. But having said that, you're in your 30s, yeah. I'm in my 60s, we're both comic book fans, and we had a blast. Yeah. Not quite the blast we expected, but a blast nonetheless. And I think that other than Spider-Man, No Way Home, this is possibly the best uh, feature that Marvel have put in their Phase 4 to date. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, Spider-Man has his own momentum, and he is the best known of all the Marvel superheroes. I mean, he was known in the mainstream back in the 60s. Yeah. Uh, I think that Marvel now need to fast-track bringing in other heavy hitters. I, because the yeah. Eternals didn't work. Shang-Chi is... He's not even second tier. I'd say it was third tier. Entertaining movie, but he's not going to be holding the future of the Marvel Universe on his shoulders. Black Widow was already dead. I'm kind of hoping for them to bring in someone, some big characters now, because... Like the X-Men or Fantastic yeah, Four. Yeah, because for me... You know, I was looking forward to superhero films. Yeah. Wanted to see this one, but that kind of big buzz you'd get from like we're going to see Captain America or yeah. you know Iron Man it's kind of like a... I'm going to bring in this word again resonance nothing that we have seen other than the Spider-Man yeah. movies have had the resonance and I'm not I'm going to be I'm going to play fair yeah okay I'm not going to say they didn't have the resonance of Infinity War and Endgame because I don't think that anything will again. What I'm going to say is they don't have the resonance and the ongoing impact into future films that, for example, dropping the city in um, Avengers, yeah. Age of Ultron did, which had repercussions, no pun intended, into other films. Like the Sokovia Accords, which affected the superheroes I think going that's forward. It as well. And Civil War, where we had not only the fall of S.H.I.E.L.D., which we didn't see coming, no. but also the rise of Hydra. I think as well the problem is that they've already announced that there's never going to be another Avengers-type film. But we need a team. But now. you need something. And they've got two good to go. They've got the rights to X Men. They've got the rights to the Fantastic Four. And you need a villain like Doctor Doom. You need something big because at the moment it just kind of feels like we're coasting. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's another one. Great. We need Doctor Doom done properly. Yeah. I had nothing against the two Tim Story Fantastic Four films. For some reason, they seem to have... Well, the ire of fandom. I think with the first one... 
But Josh Trank's film was just unforgivable. There wasn't actually any criticism about the second Fantastic Four film, the Silver Surfer one. Yeah. The first one was criticised a lot. But when they released the extended cut, where they added about half an hour to the film, yeah. it filled in so many blanks. That wasn't a wide release, though, was no. it? I mean, it never saw the inside of a cinema. It was a short release on DVD. Yeah. I don't think it made blue, did it? I don't think it did. Um, so, my advice to Marvel, if anybody from Marvel ever asked me, would be broaden it. We've got enough second and third tier characters at the moment. Bring in some of the other heavy Why hitters. can't we have something like a Marvel Knights movie series that's aimed at an older audience with people like Punisher and Daredevil? Yeah. Because DC have proven time and time again not everything needs to be for the entire family. No, this is true. And if you're going to do, say, Punisher, for, for example... He's not going to work at a 12. No. No. It'll just be an awful movie. I... I I didn't mind the first Punisher film. Love the second. Love the second one. That's the Punisher. Yeah. Um, Speaking of comic books, which we, we were... One week ago, the the comic book industry lost a titan, a major, major force in artist Neil Adams, who died at the age of 80 from sepsis. Um, we both have memories of Neil Adams's work. Yeah. Sadly, we never met him. But I remember the first time I saw one of his comics. And I would be about 13. And it was the summer. And the summer back in the 70s, 60s and 70s, were the only times you could really buy American comics in the, the, the stores that were open only during the summer, which usually served, you know, campsites and stuff like that. And sometimes you'd have a DC summer when, you know, they were just unsold issues from the previous year or whatever. And sometimes it'd be a Marvel summer. Depends what the wholesalers had, I suppose. And um, that year was a DC summer. And uh, I I picked up a copy of Brave and the Bold, uh, issue 93. Now, Brave and the Bold, back then, was a team-up comic, um, which it had been since the 60s, but the title went back much further than that. And every month, Batman would team up with somebody, anybody else, from yeah. DC world um, except Superman because another title World's Finest had Superman and Batman in it every month so this month it was this particular issue 
Batman and the House of Mystery. Now, I was intrigued because the House of Mystery was like an anthology comic, a bit like Tales from the Crypt, where you'd have two or three horror stories, and they were introduced by the um, caretaker of the House of Mystery, called Cain. They had a sister title called the House of Secrets, um, and it was Abel who 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 was the uh, caretaker there. But Batman in the House of Mystery, Batman and horror both together. Okay, bought it for about five pence, and it was exclusively a Batman story in a supernatural surrounding, with occasional narrations by by Kane. But what absolutely blew me away was the artwork. It was fine line artwork that was almost photorealistic in a comic book. And I'd never seen anything like it. And during that summer and subsequent summers, I always used to seek out titles that were drawn by Neil Adams, usually written by the late Danny O'Neill. They, they came as a team. And he basically reinvigorated the Joker. Were it not for the Batman issue that featured the Joker's five-way revenge, the Joker that we see in films and in the animated series these days would not exist. Because a lot of the five-way revenge was used for the Dark Knight movie. That's right. That's right. See, he came to DC... And one of the things he wanted to do was he wanted to draw Batman. But he ended up drawing a character called Deadman, whose superpower was that he was dead. This was during the time of the Comics Code Authority. And you couldn't use the word zombie, you couldn't use the word vampire. But DC, normally the button-down shirts and ties, corporate you know, um, kind of more conservative, I suppose, of the big two, Marvel and DC, had a superhero who was dead. He had been shot from his trapeze, because he was a trapeze artist, and could stay as a ghost long enough to find his own killer. And they gave that to Neil Adams to draw. The way he got into drawing Batman which is what he became best known for, for me anyway, was he petitioned to have Batman meet Deadman in The Brave and the Bold. Yeah. So that so gave him a shot. He gave him a shot as Batman. He then became a regular Batman artist and created enduring villains with Danny O'Neill, such as Rachel Ghoul. Man-Bat. Man-Bat. He, he, he was a towering talent but also behind the scenes he was responsible for unionizing comic book artists who had basically no employment rights at all and frequently their work was lost by the by the big two and was not returned to them so when he found out that Superman creators, Joe Shuster and Jerry Siegel, were living in poverty 
um, one practically blind, the other one working in a post office. These were the people who created Superman, who should have been millionaires. Exactly. They sold Superman for, I believe, about $50 in the 1940s. Then signed away all their rights. Okay, the deal was legal. Was it moral? That's a different story. But it was Neil Adams who guilted National Periodical Publications, yeah. DC, into basically taking care of them, giving them a pension, making sure that they were provided for, and giving them some comfort in their twilight yeah. years. And actually got their credit on that first Superman film. As creators. As creators. Um, gave them a respect that they never had because Superman literally made billions for DC. And the creators got nothing. Exactly. Didn't get a piece of the action. From the early 1940s all the way through to 1978. How crazy is that? That is crazy. You know... Um, from then on, he 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 created. Uh, he took your one of your favorite superheroes, the Green Arrow. Yep. Who basically had for years been a pale imitation of Batman, even down to the kind of cave layer, the arrow car, the phone, the arrow signal. And what they did was teamed him up with the Green Lantern. And inspired, I think, by films like Easy Rider. And this is during the whole civil rights movement and anti-war, um, you know, ban the bomb yeah. and all this in the late 60s. Took him on a journey across America. Um, as, as Peter Fonda had done in the film Easy Rider, they went looking for America, couldn't find it anywhere. Yeah. And they actually not only addressed uh, the Green Arrow's sidekick, Speedy, becoming a heroin addict, which was a major yeah. no-no, but they also went into civil rights, black rights, slum landlords, um, ecological and environmental issues in a string of uh, stories known as the hard-travelling heroes. DC aren't given... Neil Adams and DC aren't given enough credit. I have long said that Neil Adams is my favourite comic book artist yeah. of all time. Yes, I do like Steve Ditko and his early Spider-Man work. Um, we like Jim Lee. Yeah. We like Todd McFarlane. But Neil Adams was the absolute king of the industry. But, Not Kirby. Neil, Neil Adams. Adams changed things. He did. Whereas people like Steve Ditko, yes, great artist, but he didn't do he didn't actually do anything for the industry. Whereas He was a great artist. He did I think the finest Spider Man work. Whereas with Neil Adams, he did things to help people in the industry. He 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 improved the industry. He improved it, 
and he created characters that are considered the greatest now, still. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. Again, Ditko, you know, along with Kirby and Stan Lee, created Marvel. Yeah. But, but, Neil Adams righted some fundamental wrongs. Yeah. And put himself out there. And in later life, over the past few years, he went back, did another Superman miniseries. Um, the last work he did that I know of was he went back and did another Batman series, which which yeah. I have in 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 a collected edition. And he kind of contented himself, um, doing random video podcasts where he would be drawing, and talking into a camera, answering people's questions because you could ask him anything. Yeah. And I still love watching those. And the last time I saw him was only a few days before his death. Um, he was like Tiffany, conspicuous by his absence for you know a couple of weeks, and then he popped back up, and they had a camera over his shoulder showing him doing a drawing because he would take commissions as well um, during these podcasts, and his arm and hand were really badly bruised, yeah. and it was very late at night, so I didn't watch all of that. Um, and he, he actually apologised for the way that his hand looked, but he was carrying on drawing. And I think about three days later, he, he passed of sepsis. Yeah. So whether he'd taken a fall or whether he was ill, or I, I don't know what, what had happened, but um, it, was, it was a sad loss. It was. But what a legacy he leaves us. Huge legacy. He was. And I think we had another feature that we were going to do this time. But... I think we're going to leave that until Tiffany is back with us, um, where we were going to take a look at our favourite horror, not horror movie um, as such. It was going to be that we were going to take a look at our gory scenes in horror movies that we find it hard to watch. The kind of gory scenes that, you know, it, it just turns your stomach. Yeah. And we're, we're going to do our top five. So, Tiffany, if you're listening, we're going to do this next time. Okay? So we will need your list. And if you're not listening, Tiffany, why not? You'll have to explain that to me next time I see you. So, Steve, until the next time. It's so long for me, Steve. And from me, Robin, stay low, stay sharp, stay safe. We will see you next time with the Tiffster. <laughs>